Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to our Clubhouse podcast, where we have candid and open conversations about mental health and anything related to it. Our Clubhouse is located in Richmond, British Columbia, where we support people living and recovering from mental illness. You'll be hearing from both members and staff, where our thoughts and opinions are our own. I'm Andy, and today you'll be hearing from Stuart, Caitlin, Jay, and Janine, with special guest Michael for a little bit. So this podcast, I'm going to explain, is slightly different than our previous ones. We're going to be doing more of like an educational info dump, like Janine likes to say. So basically, we've each done some research on different aspects. The topic is history of psychology. Uh, So hopefully you enjoy enjoy the, the info that we've gotten. So... Um, I started with looking up information about institutions. So basically, once it got really big around the 1950s, more than half a million Americans were confined to these state psychiatric institutions, totaling around 37,000 people. And right now, obviously, it's different. It's more short-term inpatient units as opposed to long-term stays kind of thing. Um, I found out that the main person responsible for it, her name was either Dorothea or Dorothy Dix. Um, She was mostly responsible for the mass construction of the state mental hospitals in the 1800s. It started with the mass immigration from Germany, Ireland, and Italy. And she stated that people's mental health was incredibly important, which it is, which is, yay, good for her. Um, And that's when the mental health asylums began in the States. Any questions so far? We are all good? Yes. No, it sounds good. Well, I have a question. Yes. Might be touched upon later, but what made us move from the antiquated using of institutionalization to where we are now? So I actually do touch on that. Um, basically, they find out it didn't work. <laughs> That's a long story short. Yeah, long story short, it was discredited. So spoiler alert, but we'll we'll get to that. So the original, the originator for that, for that type of super antiquated type of institutionalization was named, he was named Thomas Kirkbride. He founded, it was called the Association of Medical Superintendents of American Institutions for the Insane. It's like a really catchy name. Um, it later became the APA. <laughs> so oh. The American Psychiatric, Psychi- Psychi- Psychiatric Association. Um, so yeah, that, that came a long way. So his construction plan for the institutions was the most classic and most used design. It was it kind of reflected his approach to mental illness, like treating mental illness with an emphasis on exposure to natural light, proper air circulation, which, you know, I, I would hope you'd get that from for anyone, but didn't think I need to write that exactly. Um, so basically like whenever you think of his designs, it's like this big stately mansion manor in the, you know, on a big field kind of thing, big Victorian style mansion. Yeah, the architecture was very dramatic. And he stated that he didn't think that just because someone had a mental illness that they would have to give up comfort and luxury. So that's 
great. <laughs> I know, right? Who would have thought, you know, these people have feelings. People. They're actual people. Who would have thought? What a concept, right? And then, so by 1900, so the question Michael asked, these types of buildings became discredited to, as being like actually helpful in that way. And they were too expensive to maintain. So that kind of style of institutionalization got dropped. Um, and also the hospitals themselves became overcrowded. So there was the Weston State Hospital, I think it's in Virginia, was supposed to house and treat like 250 people and ended up with 2,600 people. So a little bit more than expected. Add another yeah, just add another zero, it's fine. No one's gonna notice. And that one closed permanently in 1994. What's that? Okay, so this was in the early 1900s. Mm -hmm. And around, historically speaking, outside of the mental health context, what else was happening around that time in history that might have um, led to this interest in, in mental health to spring up? That's not something I did particular research on. However, um, my, my guess is that there were other, you know, there were other psychologists and other people interested, like other scientists interested in mental health and the mind. And that kind of just snowballed from there. Okay. If I remember anything from any classes I ever took, I think that might be. <laughs> yeah. So then these types of hospitals that Kirk Wright started up are now closed and patients are now treated uh, for mostly around a week. And then they're typically discharged back into their community, whether for better or for worse, because unfortunately sometimes they might not have a stable place to live. And so that was kind of, I guess, a benefit of the, the quote unquote benefit of the uh, Kirkbride type institutions. But that's where we are now. And that is the end of my research. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, too kind, <laughs> too kind. So yeah, that's where we've gotten. Giant mansions too. The mansions, the mansions don't sound too bad. I don't know about you guys. It could be a fun experience. You could wander the halls at night, maybe visit the vending machine. <laughs> You're turning into a ghost, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Victorian era <laughs> ghost. Was it really a ghost or was it just me? Oh. All along. <laughs> Wait, what if I'm the ghosts? What if we're all ghosts? What if this is like the sixth sense? <laughs> we were always actually dead. Maybe we do need to go to a mansion. Maybe we do. I wouldn't mind. Let's go to a mansion now. I'm down. All right. So. Mansions. I got to <laughs> You got to go buy a mansion now? Have fun. Are we invited to your mansion, Michael? Uh, yes. On the 32nd of January. Oh, Perfect. love it. Thank you. All right, special guest Michael has now left. Yeah. Okay, Caitlin, you are up next with your topic. Please present your topic and what you've learned about it. Uh, my topic is lobotomies, uh, like the lobotomy treatment. Uh, what is a lobotomy? Well, lobotomies, a lobotomy is a surgical procedure in which the nerve pathways in the lobe of the brain are severed for those from those in other areas freaky scary uh <laughs> procedure doesn't sound um, like uh like it should be a real procedure <laughs> no it doesn't but it was 
what was the purpose? Well, lobotomies have been used as a radical therapeutic measure to intended to calm patients with mental illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. When was the first lobotomy performed? Well, the first one was performed in like the 1800s when some Swiss p- physician, oh, I can't pronounce his name, got Libib, uh, Libib, oh, geez, G O T T L I E B. Yeah, say it, with, say it with an accent. Maybe say it like oh, a no. French accent. Um, I can't. <laughs> it's gonna make me. I won't be able to pronounce. It. Uh, Buckhart, B-U-R-C-K-H-A-R-D-A-T. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went removed parts of the brain, uh, of the brain cortex, and patients suffering from auditory hallucinations, hallucinations, and other symptoms of schizophrenia. Buckhart performed the operation on six patients. One died. Several days later, another and another committed suicide. So I feel like if you're, I don't know if it really worked. Success <laughs> is barely over fifty percent. I feel like that shouldn't be a continued procedure. But you know, that's just me. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Toss a coin. Toss a coin. <laughs> that's what you want from your physician. <laughs> so, what are some of the effects of a lobotomy, Caitlin? Uh, it it was uh, intended effect of uh, lobotomies reduce tension of agitation and many early patients did exhibit those changes. However, many showed the showed other effects and such as apathy, passivity, lack of initiative, poor ability to concentrate and generally decreased depth and intensity of their emotional, emotional response to life. Some died as a result of the procedure. This sounds oh like, God. you know, like the uh, those TV commercials for drugs in the States where it's like, hey, it'll help you with hair loss, but you might die and you might get like, you might lose your car insurance. <laughs> you will never get a good parking spot. Your legs will fall off. <laughs> your legs will fall off. Uh, yeah. But you'll, you'll still have your hair. <laughs> it's like the pills they sell at like uh, gas stations in the States. It's like, this is a vitamin supplement, but you might have a heart attack. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. lobotomies. Anyway, please continue, yeah. Caitlin. <laughs> yeah. Even before the first lobotomy, doctors were doctors were manipulating the brain to change behavior. Beginning in the late 1800s, the Swiss, the, yeah, the Swiss physician removed, yeah. Patients. We'll call him GB. GB. Our boy uh, GB. And he also, GB, noted that in 1891 paper that the Swiss claimed his patients calmed his patients, though some suffered complications. So, yeah, motor weakness, sensory aphasia, inability to and understand speech, writing, and tactical, tactical symbols, mm-hmm. and epilepsy. And one patient died five days after the procedure, like I said before. Um, that was in a journal in 2008 in the journal of neurosurgery um antonio agus Mars montez mm-hmm. is credited with officially in- inventing the lobotomy in 1935 and where she shared the nobel prize for physiology or medicine in 1949 yeah A later movement was started in to revoke the prize unsuccessfully 
that makes sense except it sucks that it never the motion never actually went through to take it away because <laughs> that's not a very good procedure is it <laughs> yeah and then later that year Mul- montez and his colleague almedia lima mm-hmm. performed the first human lobotomy experiments offering on 20 people the doctors targeted the patient's frontal lobes because that brain region is associated with the behavior and personality. Maltez reported that surgery is as a, as a success in treating patients with conditions such as depression, schizophrenia, panic disorder, mania. According to an article published in 2011 in the Journal of Neurosurgery, but the operations had severe, severe side effects, including increased body temperature, vomiting, bladder and bowel incontinence and eye problems as well as apathy, lethargy, lethargy and abnormal sensations of hunger. <laughs> sensations of hunger. <laughs> Among others. Yeah. So, uh, the mental community was intently critical of the physicians started using it in countries all around the world. Uh, yeah, lobotomies decreased in the properties, which is good. Um, kind of late. Uh, as the undesirable side effects became well known, more well known, criticism of the procedures also grew among medical professionals who said that doctors who performed lobotomies were not neurosurgeons. That's not great. Uh, <laughs> neglected to report negative outcomes for many of their patients and overall had a lack of scientific rigor. rigor. According to the Frontier, Frontiers and Neurosurgeon mm-hmm. Study. So that's definitely what we want is not a neurosurgeon performing neurosurgery. Yeah. I, I would definitely just want, I'd like a baker to perform my eye surgery. If you believe you can achieve <laughs> I don't think this counts in this situation. <laughs> they achieved one thing. <laughs> they, failure. <laughs> they achieved many side effects. Yeah. I don't I thought <laughs> not good not really good at all. So there's a quote here. It also became apparent that some institutionalized or incapacitated Incapacitated, incapacitated patients were lobotomized without informed consent Ooh. and procedures may have been performed on prisoners and to address defunctional behavior as opposed to mental health the study author reported That's uh terrifying. yeah by 1950s scientists had yeah scientists had de- developed psychotherapeutic mm-hmm. medications such as Anti-psychic, no, anti-psychotic. Mm-hmm. Promazine? Maybe. Yeah, that, that sounds, sounds right. Sounds like a medication to me. Yeah, which was well, much more, more effective and safer for treating mental uh, disorders that lo- that than lobotomy. Nowadays, mental illness is primarily treated with drugs and psychotherapies. Um, in, ca- in cases where where drugs or talk therapy are not effective, people may be treated with electrovoltive mm-hmm. therapy and pr- procedure, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no a worries. procedure that involves passing electrical currents through the brain to trigger a brief seizure. According to the Mayo Clinic, I'm trying to say name for a clinic, uh, lobotomy is rarely, if ever, performed today, and it, 
if it is, it's much more elegant procedure. Luna oh. said, you're not going to going in with an ice pack or ice pick and monkeying around. The removal of the scientific brain areas, psych, psychosurgery is reserved for the treating for treating patients for whom all other treatments have failed. That Jeez. sounds when I see elegant procedure, I just imagine the doctors like wearing like full like black tie event kind of clothing. You know, they dress up for it. Yes, harpist in the corner. We've got some oh some past hors d'oeuvres going on around. Yes. Yes, correct. Yes, it's much more elegant procedure nowadays. Yeah. Right. So glad that that's not really happening anymore because no. that sounds terrifying. Yeah, I still I can't believe that they used that they still used it considering how many how many people died and how many bad side effects there were. I guess it was just quick and easy. They didn't want to think too hard. So I gotta just poke. <laughs> Sure, yeah, they them. just like go like <laughs> not really poke them, but jiggle, jiggle the, the ice pick around. Yeah, and then hopefully the person, the patient might feel better. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> or they might die. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, Janine said that it uh if if we do that, then at least it won't be feeling anything. So you know that works out well. <laughs> you know what's awesome about the hospital? It's a lot better from back then. You get a big bowl of sandwiches, you get three meals a day, you get all you can eat sandwiches. Well, I'm glad that's different than before, Stuart. <laughs> they were very yummy. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you can attest to that. <laughs> Caitlin, thank you so much for doing your research. Uh, I, there was a lot of stuff I'm sure most of us didn't know specifically about lobotomies. So yeah. thank you for enlightening us. Yeah, I, I learned a little bit too. <laughs> what was your, did you have a favorite? favorite uh, uh i mean point? i'm the side effects were interesting yeah uh because i knew there were side effects i don't think lobotomies are really great uh but now i know specific side effects and like when it started yeah and how long it lasted that they yeah. did it for they did, they performed lobotomies for much longer than i ever would have expected yeah I'm glad that that's done yeah science is getting close <laughs> all right yeah. caitlin thank you so much Yep. Um, we are moving on to represent like mental illness representation in film from the 20th century. So like not recent times. <laughs> My turn? It's your turn. It's Janine. Janine is going to enlighten us about. We have a big um, tone shift from lobotomies. Um, <laughs> we are going to. Yeah, I just figured since we <laughs> did a whole episode about like representation in media when we talked about all those movies and such. So I figured I would look at not recent movies, but ones from the 1900s. Um, so I found a good one, a bad one, and a all right, one. Just to show that the same spread has been happening forever. And the range of the range continues media. to happen. And representation. Yeah, so let's see. First one I found is from 1920. It's called The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, and it is credited as being one of the first associations between dangerousness and psychotic, psychiatric conditions in film. So, so like 
saying that people with mental illness are dangerous. dangerous. Yeah. So that's where that trope, I guess, in media was supposedly first seen, um, which we do see a lot still Mm -hmm. in modern media. So which we see later. Interesting that it goes all the way back from to 1920 and a hundred years later we're still there. (laughs) We're still struggling with getting rid of that. (laughs) So boo we hate him <laughs> um, and then um and an all right one if you're going for a middle of the road movie um we have the 1957 film the three faces of eve um which was about dissociative identity disorder which i thought was very interesting for it being 1957 yeah i would say probably better than split Oh, um, and more you know, accurate, more accurate than Split, which I know Andy you love. Oh yeah, very much. Andy's so. favorite movie. <laughs> um, so I could go on many rants about it, and I haven't even seen it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So go watch our other episode if you want to hear that rant. <laughs> um, but the Three Faces of Eve um, does address dissociative identity disorder. It does go into some exploration of the disorder, and you know doesn't sensationalize it in the same way as like the other movie I just mentioned um but it's still just like very surface level it's still for entertainment which I mean I don't think you can avoid in this industry (laughs) Um, so it is a movie after it is a movie could be worse could be better therefore Um, it meets expectations meets expectations it won an academy award though for its time I mean that is still pretty impressive and like if you're saying that I mean this was what 70 years ago close to math yeah i don't know math something like that but the fact that this is still more accurate than movies that we have now it's made in shows 2019 2020 something like that yeah Split? yeah i don't remember that's saying a lot and, and then <laughs> i found supposedly a really good representation of mental illness in media is a 1948 movie mm-hmm. so this one's called the snake pit and it's about someone with schizophrenia and it basically the plot is like how she goes to a mental hospital and how she has to go through treatment and all that but it's not like a scary mental hospital it's like an actual kind of objective view of her journey in recovery Um, and a lot of the psychiatrists during that time they actually said that they give the movie a green check mark for how it showed the quote um the real complexity and scope of treatment during that time which is good that is considered a very progressive film um i've never seen it so take this how you will (laughs) Um, take it with a potential grain of salt yeah the most interesting thing is apparently apparently this movie um was a springboard for many mental institutions in the united states changing their methods Wait, so because of the film, a lot of like mental hospitals were like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be doing it this way. We should do it that way. Wow. That's actually, apparently that's really impressive, though. That's what I said in quotations. Big claim, but OK. <laughs> apparently it's supposed to be at least seven states, I guess, got inspired from this movie to improve to their things. conditions in their own mental hospitals that's really impressive good on in that movie if that's the case so, yeah 1948 they figured it out and then somehow we went downhill to <laughs> <laughs> where we are now how unfortunate yeah i think it's just interesting that we did have it figured out and then we also had it very not figured out and we are still 
in that going in that roller coaster yeah I think it's gone it's like the pendulum has swung too far the other way and it's just more sensationalized at this point it is we're going back to the 1920 version (laughs) which Janine has dubbed boo tomato tomato boo tomato tomato (laughs) yeah that's what I got (laughs) thank you Janine that was actually really interesting I had no idea especially like the the movie in like 1948 the fact that it actually changed yeah I wonder how accurate that is I do I would like to I'd like to look into that more but that's really cool the only state I remember was Wisconsin, so maybe that's a good place to start looking. All right, we'll look, we'll look in Wisconsin and how it changed in 1948 mm-hmm. based on this movie. Awesome. Thank you so much, Janine. Now, contrasting that, Jay over here is going to talk about a more recent movie and how that has portrayed mental illness. Jay, take it away. Thank you. History deemed mental illness as a demonic possession and witchcraft. Even in the present times of 21st century, the media portrays mental illness as abnormal and evil. An example would be the movie named Beautiful Mind. It is about a mathematician named John Nash undergoing some symptoms. So this mathematician hears voices or so he communicates with an entity that is deemed to be scary, evil, and demonic. I too can relate to the mathematician, just like him. My diagnosis started when I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. That was during my college years, on my second year. Mm-hmm. And I started attending college when I was 18 years old. And for me, I'm really grateful for the education because through the education, my thoughts, emotions, and behavior are okay. That being said, I would say that normal is actually overrated. Very good point. <laughs> normal is very subjective. In the movie, as well as in the field of psychology, the ability to hear voices and experience visual hallucinations are believed to be delusional. To me personally, I interpret voices and other hallucinations as God-given superpower. Hearing voices and seeing stuff sound completely drug-free high reactions. When I first experienced the inner symptoms, I too was scared. I couldn't differentiate reality. There were times when I lost my moment, but as I got to live with it, I was able to manage my mood, mind, and emotions. I did some research for this episode's podcast, and what scared me most is this, how specialists define mental illness. They label those who experience mental illness as less educated and other demeaning categories. Mm-hmm. Even in the movies like Beautiful Mind, mental illness is perceived as negative. I would like to state that the diagnosis does not define an individual, and the media over exaggerate diagnosis is about time to change perspective and Descriptions. History repeats itself. It would be great if we set a new story to rewrite such history. Very powerful statement, Jay. That is, and that's literally just comparing to what Janine had said. The fact that back in 1948, we were able to see one of the best representations of mental illness and it changing the outside world in the States. The fact that we're not able to do that now is pretty sad. So very, very good point. I actually haven't seen A Beautiful Mind, though, but I assume that, yeah, not a very good representation then. And it's a movie I can't relate. So there's parts I really like, the parts I don't really like. So it's a bit of both. both, Yes. Makes sense. What would you give it out of 10 Mm -hmm. overall? Eight and a half. Oh, that's still pretty good, actually. I mean, it could be a good movie, yeah. regardless of the representation yeah. or the statement it portrays. Yeah, that makes total sense. 
-hmm. Well then, yeah, people can uh, give it a watch and determine for yourselves. <laughs> yeah, I gotta watch it. I've heard of it. Yeah, I've heard mm -hmm. about it too, actually. I just never really thought about watching it. So now I am inspired by Jay. So thank you, Jay. Thank you so much for doing that research too. Yes, also, yeah, also, um, yeah, guys, you're all invited, uh, our listeners out there and all of us in here. We're gonna watch The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and we're gonna laugh at it. And watch how people Yes, we'll, we'll watch that, it's gonna be great. Boo, tomato, tomato. <laughs> and with that, we're gonna move back into uh, I believe we're going to go into treatment, modern day. Modern, day, modern day treatment with Stuart. Thank you again so much, Jay. Stuart, take it away. I wanted to say thank you for sharing, Jay. That was interesting to learn about you, and I enjoyed your perspectives on things. It's very positive. Um, I did a bit about, was studying a bit about treatment, and I kind of was uh, found an interesting fact that uh, healthcare in Canada is governed by the Healthcare Act. I learned that uh, some goals and objectives are to provide protection, promote and restore mental health and physical health with reasonable access to healthcare. I find that very interesting because I was not um, aware how much they want to focus on well-being. A couple of ways we could find to see if we need help because we all sometimes uh, go through things in our life. Uh, mental and wellness can have a lot in common with each other, but they can also be very different in ways. Symptoms of unwellness can look different on an individual basis and can be different from person to person, just like a physical illness. The symptoms can be mild, moderate to severe. I found that very interesting that we could be very fine and then have like a severe reaction. And I know when I was going through my uh, mental health, sometimes it would be fine, then it would just drop. A couple of key symptoms to look for would include changing to your usual eating habits, changes in your usual sleep patterns, or probably, for example, unrealistic worries or fears around things in life over situations. So if you are ever experiencing some of those symptoms, please do feel free to ask for help. There are different resources out there. What I think is a good thing to remember is that a good reason to get help is that it's a strength, it's not a weakness, and that there's strength and courage in getting help and working on yourself. A lot of us experience mental and wellness for different reasons. Sometimes we think we could snap out of it on our own and deal with it ourselves. But unfortunately, the fact is we all need help sometimes and we need the support to get through it. Some places you could go to for looking help, we could go to a family doctor or nurse practitioner. They can help roll out symptoms and also guide you to different areas and resources. There's also psychiatrists that are specially trained in diagnosing and giving treatment for suffering from a mental illness. I know, for example, when I was a younger teenager, I kind of just pretended everything was fine and didn't realize that I needed help and was kind of not recognizing my own depression and schizophrenia and things like that. But I noticed that going to a psychiatrist and being able to kind of 
switch my way of thinking and be more open-minded. It kind of is helping me having the support. So I definitely recommend anybody to try it out if you'd like the help. Some resources that we could use for looking for help is there are, let me look here, services in Richmond for adults. So if anybody is experiencing psychosis, there is the Richmond Mental Health Team. They are a community-based organization in Richmond that works with the hospital and case managers and that nature. And there is also the early psychosis intervention. Psychosis to be a treatable medical condition that affects the brain. These psychosis symptoms can affect us in different ways in each person, each person, but usually include hallucinations, delusions, or difficulties with thinking. A great thing about this program we could see is that it aims to provide early identification and treatment for psychosis. So this way the symptoms do not become too hard to manage and you can get through it with a team. What I did find very interesting is that for youth out there, there's actually a lot of stuff for youth enrichment, which I did not was not aware there was so much, but for example, they have early childhood mental health enrichment, where they provide interdisciplinary behavioral mental health assessments and treatments for services for ages, for children ages zero to six. What I, yeah. Have any of you ever heard any of you, of any of these programs? I haven't heard of that one specifically, but that's great that there's early intervention like that. Yeah, it's really good. They also have a child and adolescent mental health program in Richmond, which is more geared to people ages six to 19. And they also work with families who are affected by serious mental health concerns. They help uh, coordinate services within the community and deal with a wide ra range of different tasks. Mm -hmm. And that is my speech for today. <laughs> Thank you, Stuart. That's really interesting. And it's really great to have all these resources available to you and knowing that like, you're not just limited to one. The more resources yeah. you have, the better. And we will put them in our description. So check that out. Um, yeah, I thought... Um, I kind of thought if there's like a single parent or some random dad at home listening, they can, <laughs> if they're having troubles, they can direct their child that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are specific to Richmond and Vancouver, but there are always like, if you just search it up at some point, there definitely will be more resources if, sure. if you need them. Did you mention Stuart um, Foundry? I can't remember if you did. I, rich, I mentioned the early psychosis intervention the Richmond Mental Health Team and a couple youth uh, places. Okay, because if if we if you didn't mention Foundry, Foundry is also a really good organization. Um, they help people ages twelve to twenty four with uh, lots of different things like uh, sexual health counseling group, all that kind of stuff. It's very cool. So, and I think that's also not just limited to Richmond. I think there's like throughout BC, very helpful, uh, really great organization. So Foundry, we'll put that description as well. Aren't um, they right beside Pathways across the street? They actually will be moving, but they have a temporary uh, location. Mm -hmm. Well, if you got the time, people, go check out Foundry <laughs> before it moves. 
Yeah, thank you so much for doing all that research, Stuart. That's really great. And I think that'll definitely help a lot more people to understand that they're not limited. They have lots of people wanting to help. And like Janine says, yep, lots more options than before, for sure. Mm-hmm. More knowledge, for sure. <laughs> not just, yeah, we're, we're not going to just limit ourselves to lobotomies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's, let's not go back there. I think we're done with that. I don't want 50% of people dying due to that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for doing taking the time and doing that research. And hopefully, I know I learned a lot of things. I hope we all did a little bit at least. Um, and hopefully our listeners also learned something. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for, for all coming together and taking the time out of your day to teach us new things. So uh, thanks again for joining us and make sure to check out our Instagram at Yapstagram. That's with two Y's. Uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye.